Let's talk about college football, particularly the University of Georgia schedule, which is a complete joke. Who I think is going to, you know, be the teams to beat this year in the college world. I also want to touch on Zion Williamson. The picture's coming out. New Orleans right now, he is jacked. He looks like he's going to have a big year. Also, the big news out of Indy, the Colts have allowed Jonathan Taylor to look for a trade. But first and foremost, let's hit the Yankees again. They finally called up Everson Pereira, who is a top three prospect right now. And by doing so, Jason Dominguez also got called up, but not to the big league. Jason Dominguez got called up to AAA. So the Martian, the guy that we've been waiting to see play for uh, about five years now, he is one step away from the majors and he's been on a complete tear. He tore the cover off the ball in double A the past week. 464 batting average, 500 on base percentage, 0.857 OPS. He was 13 for 28, eight runs, five doubles, two home runs, eight RBI, and uh, he stole the base. So Dominguez, he had a slow start, but now that he's getting into the swing of things, he got comfortable with double A pitching. He's killing it, and it'll be very interesting to see what he does in AAA. Now, they called up Everson Pereira. They called up Oswald, Oswald Peraza. And the Peraza call-up isn't that exciting because he's been up and down with the team all year long. The one thing I don't get is why didn't they call up Austin Wells? Okay? Over the past week, Austin Wells, 273 batting average, 864 OPS, 4 home runs, 11 RBI. He is killing it. Right now, we have a catcher in Ben Rovet who... Going into last night's game, he was batting .095. It doesn't get worse than that. Now, of course, last night he goes two for two. He hits a home run. He's the only run. He's the only person to put a run on the Yankees board last night. The Yankees lost 2-1, their ninth loss in a row. And it's completely pathetic because the last time the Yankees have lost nine consecutive games, was 1982. That is 41 years ago. That is remarkable. And honestly, it's the same thing, man. And everybody thought that firing Dylan Lawson, the hitting coach, and bringing in Sean Casey would be a good thing, but it's made the team worse. They're hitting worse. Last night, Wurtvet was the only person to get a hit. The Yankees had two hits the whole game. And of course, it was a player that was batting .095 going into the game. And then another thing last night, Volpe came up to bat and they're like, oh, Volpe has 50 RBIs. He, him and Torres are tied for the lead for RBIs. 50 RBIs is the lead on the team on August 21st. That is pathetic. Okay. That is horrible. Now, granted... Judge miss what six to eight weeks. He's sitting at forty-eight RBI. You know, Judge will probably end somewhere in the seventies, maybe eighties. But nobody on the Yankees is going to eclipse a hundred RBIs this year. Nobody on the Yankees might. They might not even eclipse eighty RBI. Their offense is feeble. Now they called up Everson Pereira. His first at bat. I like what I saw. Okay, because there was a few pitches, especially that third ball. That was right off the left edge of home plate. Normal, normally, young players like that are swinging at that pitch. He let it go, 
It was a ball. The next pitch was up, inside, high, in his face. He walked. So he showed a lot of patience at the plate, which is something we haven't seen with these Yankee hitters. Okay, so we showed a lot of patience. Aaron Boone was on John Boy yesterday. He said that Pereira is going to play every day in left field. Peraza is going to play every day at third base unless Volpe needs a spell, unless Torres needs a spell. But let's be real. Volpe played every game so far this year. Why take him out now? The more opportunities these young kids can get at bats, the better. If I'm the Yankees before September, I'm calling up Austin Wells. In the September call-ups, I'm calling up Austin Wells because you know what? We need to see what these guys can do going into the offseason next year. Now, the Yankees spent $360 million over nine years for Aaron Judge. We do not have a lot of money left. They do have all the money in the world because the Yankees are one of the richest franchises in sports. They are by far the richest franchise in Major League Baseball. They're averaging 42,000 fans a day which is the highest other than the Los Angeles Dodgers. And per capita, they make the, more, the most money out of any ball team. You know, $10 beers, $20 chicken buckets, $40 parking. We all know the deal. So they have the money. They have more money than any other franchise in Major League Baseball. But Hal Steinbrenner is not like his father. Hal Steinbrenner is about the bottom line. He's all about making money and putting a decent product on the field to keep the stands full, to keep the ballpark full, and to make his partners money. Because we all know Steinbrenner only owns you know, around 60% of the team. There's other people that own 5-6% here and there. So these guys must be loving hell right now. George, all George wanted to do was win. Okay? Hal, I really don't feel like how he, he doesn't have that energy for the ball to park for the ball team like George did. Okay. Hal doesn't care if they win or not. Hal is okay with making the playoffs eight out of 10 years. And, and, and we saw that. We saw that with Cashman not going out at the trade deadline and being okay with it. But you know what? The Yankees are going to finish in last place. And there's a very good chance the Yankees are going to finish under 500. So heads have to roll. Okay. Now, you know, Boone's going to go. They're probably going to fire Sabian. They're probably going to fire Manaya. But honestly, if I'm the Yankees, I'm cleaning house. I am calling up Theo Epstein and I'm asking him to come in, be the president of baseball operations, let him hire a GM and do something. Now, I know Cashman has been with the team since the 90s. You know what? You don't have to let him go completely. Just relieve him of his GM duties or, I know this is crazy, promote Cashman to a president of baseball operations, you know, Roll and bring in a GM or, you know, say Brian Cashman is stepping down from his GM duties and he's going to be an advisor for the team. You know, if you want Brian K, if you have such a connection to Brian Cashman, if Hal and Brian are so close, you want Cashman to save face, do that. Granted, me, I would want him out of here. If Brian Cashman is fired by the Yankees this offseason, I guarantee you it will be less than 18 to 24 months before another team picks him up. The White Sox just cleaned house. They would pick Cashman's a great GM, but his voice has gone on, on silent ears in the Yankees organization. The Yankees have no fire. They've been doing things all wrong since 2018 when they traded for Stanton and they got rid of Girardi and things need to change. But Pereira's up, Peraza's up call up Austin Wells. I know a lot of people want to see Dominguez up. 
I wouldn't I wouldn't call up Dominguez right now. But like I was saying before, with the $360 million for Judge, we don't have a lot of money to spend for the positional players right now. So we need to let these young guys come up and take these positions so we can invest money in the pitching staff and to invest money in the bullpen. Okay. If Wells is a great catcher and he's a catcher of the future, great. We got Wells there. Rizzo will come back at first. You know he'll have a bounce back year. The infield, Torres, if he stays, I still think we should trade him for some prospects. But you got Parazza at second. You got Volpe at short. Pereira in left. Judge in right. You bring in Dominguez to play center field. And we still got Spencer Jones in the wings. We still got Arias in the wings. We got Hampton. We got some pitches that are coming up. Cole's going to be there. Rodon's going to be there. Nest is going to be there. So it's not that bad. You know, in the offseason, maybe if I'm the Yankees, I'd go, you know, sign Chapman, a left-handed bat, to play third base. I'd sign Hayter to be the closer. And then I let the young guys play. We don't need to go and spend $200 million this offseason. Small moves, small methodical smart moves. Sign Chapman, maybe sign Bellinger to play center field if you think Dominguez isn't ready two left-handed bats, and also sign Hayter to fix the bullpen. I'll rock with the starting pitches. You got Fargus, he's good. You got Nesta, you got Radon, you got Cole, that fifth spot, Schmidt. You got people that can battle for that fifth spot, Brito, the other young guys. So that's what I would do if I was the Yankees. But they need to do it now. They need to call up Austin Wells, and we need to see what these guys have before the offseason comes. Now, moving over to college football, okay, I was just looking at it. I'm not a big college football guy. I watch the balls. I watch the big games, but I'm not going to lie and sit here and say I'm a huge college football fan. I'm more an NFL fan, but I was just looking at the rankings, looking at this, and I came across Georgia's schedule. Now, Georgia's trying to be the first team in the modern era to win three straight national championships. Not since Minnesota back in the early 30s has a team done that. Now, their non-conference schedule is extremely soft, like ridiculously soft. They had a home-and-home scheduled against Oklahoma, but were ordered to cancel it by the SEC because Oklahoma is starting the conference, joining the conference next year. Uh, Last year, they played Oregon early in the year. Two years before that, they played Clemson early on in the year. Two games that they could have lost, they didn't. You know, two powerhouse teams that could give them trouble. Georgia won both those games, but this year they don't have a threat outside of the SEC on the schedule. Okay, they play Tennessee, Martin, Ball State, UAB, and then they finish with the annual Georgia Tech game, which will be a win. And their SEC schedule isn't that tough either. Okay, only two teams are ranked inside the top 25, Ole Miss at 21 and Tennessee at 11. They have South Carolina, 8-5 and five last year, Auburn, 5-7 and seven last year. Kentucky seven and six last year, Vandy five and seven last year, Florida six and seven, and Missouri six and seven. And the crazy thing about it is they're only playing three true SEC road games at Auburn, at Vandy, at Tennessee. So I honestly think Tennessee is the biggest threat this year. And let's face it, one loss Georgia team is getting into the playoffs. And do you really think they're going to lose two games? Looking at the schedule, maybe like maybe there'll be some complacency on the roster. Maybe the new quarterback, maybe the new offensive coordinator, you know, doesn't gel well with the players. But let's be real with that defense. I know five guys got four or five guys got drafted, but they're returning four 
out of their top five tacklers last year. So, you know, they had to replace a lot on the defensive side of the ball. We all know Jalen Carter, their top defensive lineman, Jalen Carter, their top linebacker, Nolan Smith, and their top cornerback, Kaylee Ringo. Okay, but like I said, even after losing all that talent, four of their top five tacklers are back. Now, they got Brock Bowers. They lost on now Washington to the draft, but I'm very interested to see what Brock Bowers does. Okay, you know, so far in two years, he has 119 catches, 1,800 yards, 20 touchdowns. Now, he's a beast. He's a big monster. He looks like Gronk out there. You know, he lost his quarterback in Stenson Bennett, but he lost his quarterback any losses OC. But like I said, his partner in crime, Darnell Washington, went into the NFL. So the defense will be focusing just on Brock Bowers and it'll be interesting to see what he can do when they're just focusing on him. Now he'll have competition for targets. Georgia added two high end wide receivers from the transfer portal, Ra Ra Davis and Dominic Lovick. And they already had a stacked wide receiver room, but these guys are just, you know, putting the icing on the cake and Lovett's the guy to watch, man. He, he led Missouri's receivers and everything last year. And I think Lovett and Bowers will be their top two threats in the passing game. Carson Beck was just announced as Georgia's starting quarterback. He completed 73% of his passes, threw four touchdowns, zero pick as Bennett's backup last year. Uh, he played well in the spring game. He's a fourth-year junior, and he waited patiently behind Stetson Bennett to get the job. And I expect him to have a good season. I, I expect you know Georgia to have a good season you know, all around. It'll be interesting to see how the offense will shape up under the new offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo. It looks like he wasn't a popular choice from the Bulldog faithful. I was seeing some negative things written about him, but it's being said that he kept a lot of schemes and philosophies that former offensive coordinator Monk had put in place as his time as, you know, the offensive coordinator. But all along, there's not too many questions about the UGA team. Will they get complacent after winning two national championships in a row? I don't know. But with the schedule they have and one of the best coaches on the sidelines in Kirby Smart, I fully expect Georgia will be in the college football playoffs. I think they'll meet Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama there. I know, wow, you're really going, you know, you're really digging deep there with those picks. They're the top four teams heading into the season. But you know what? They're the studs. Those are the stud teams in, in college football right now. You know, Michigan has unfinished business. Ohio State's always there. And I truly expect Alabama to bounce back in a big way. You know, back-to-back two-loss seasons, three two-loss seasons in the last four. They got embarrassed by UGA in the Natty two years ago. Last year, they didn't even make the playoff, which is only the second time that that happened since its exception back in 2015. So... I expect Alabama to have a big year this year. Now, other than those four teams, I could see USC making some noise behind Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. And you can't count out LSU and Brian Kelly, but I still think they're a year away. Other than that, maybe Texas, maybe they'll be asleep at TCU last year's runner-up. No chance. That was a fluke. But it's crazy to see how this season will play out and how next season will play out because the way these new conferences There's two big power conferences now. You got the Big Ten. They just added USC and UCLA. And you got the SEC, who added Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, yeah, conferences aren't regional anymore. You're going to have the Big Ten. You're going to have the SEC. 
Now, the Big 12 made up for Oklahoma and Texas leaving by adding BYU, University of Central Florida, University of Cincinnati, and University of Houston, who will become members in the 2024-2025 athletic year. And they just got Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes to join this year, which I believe that will happen in the 2024 year. The Pac-12 is done. Okay, they're completely done. All they got left is Stanford and Cal. Everybody else went to the Big 12. They're thinking about joining up with the Mountain West, but come on, Stanford, Stanford. They're one of the best academic schools in the country. You really think Stanford's going to go and join with the Mountain West? Come on. They might go independent. They got the money to do it, like an Notre Dame, but it'll be interesting to see. Maybe that maybe Stanford and Cal shoots over and join the ACC, but then it's like, You got the Atlantic Coast Conference with two Pacific Coast teams in it. It's ridiculous. They need to change the names of these conferences, you know, and honestly, just have two big conferences. Like they talked about it in the past, even going back to the 80s, they talked about the College Super League. You know, there'd be 48 teams in the College Super League to play. You know, I think it was like six divisions of eight. Maybe, or maybe it was the super, maybe it was 30 teams. I don't know. Maybe it was six divisions of five, but you got the big schools that are getting the big money. They need to break away. And honestly, who I feel bad for is the women's volleyball team or the men's volleyball team or the men's soccer team or the women's softball team where these programs, they don't have as much money as the football teams. Like, let's say you got a daughter who wants to go to Stanford. You live in, you know, Northern California. Your daughter goes, uh, well, Stanford's a bad choice because they didn't join, I don't know, let's say UCLA. Let's say you live in Southern California. Your daughter's a top volleyball player. She goes to UCLA because she wants to be close to home and she wants her parents to be able to see her play volleyball. She's going to have to go and travel to Ohio, Wisconsin, Indiana, like, that's a five-hour flight. Like, her parents aren't going to be able to travel unless they have, you know, a ton of money. Like, think about the people who aren't well off and these kids are getting scholarships and they go somewhere close so their parents can follow their, you know, career. You know, like, it's ridiculous. You know, back in the day in the Pac-12, if, if the girl went to UCLA, she'd be playing at USC, Oregon, Colorado, um, San Diego State, Washington State, Oregon State, all up and down the West Coast. Now, she's going to be traveling to the Midwest. She's going to have to go all the way to Piscataway and Rutgers in New Jersey. Like, that's all the way across the country. So, I think it's insane. As a fan, do I like it? Yeah, of course. Like, it's amazing. You know, USC being in the Big Ten, Texas and Oklahoma being in the SEC. As a fan, it's great. But they need, it's not done yet. And honestly, I feel like all these teams are going to combine and join one big conference or one big super league. It's going to be interesting to see because the TV, it's all about money and it's all about these TV contracts. And these TV contracts are going up in different years. One's going to be up in 2030, one's going to be up in 2034. I believe the college football playoff is up in 2036. Now, If they all ended in, let's say, 2032 and 2033, these schools can come together and and build the Super League and go to ESPN and Fox to get the big money. But it'll be interesting to see now 
But that's still a ways away, and we got what we got now. USC, UCLA in the Big Ten, Colorado joining the Big 12. The Big 12 is getting a lot bigger. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. So Big 12 made up for Texas. Obviously, you're never going to make up for Texas or Oklahoma, but Deion Sanders is going to make Colorado into a big program, and they got it. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of years. Now, onto the hardwood. Pictures came out this week, last week, about Zion, man, and Zion Williamson looks like a beast. He looks jacked. He looks thin. And that's good news for the Pelicans. They went 42-40 and 40 last year. That was with Zion only playing 29 games. You know, the Stu could be an MVP if he plays 75 games. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, we all know he wants Adenola. So if I'm Zion, go out, improve your value so the Pelicans can get an offer that blows them away and, you know, become more willing to leave them. You know, do I think the Pelicans can have a good year? Yes. You know, they lost Jackson Hayes, Josh Richardson, Garrett Temple to free agency. They really only added Cody Zella, but they got the guard Jordan Hawkins from UConn in the draft. So they got a decent team. I think they could finish in the top six of the Western Conference if Zion stays healthy. You know, Brandon Ingram's a stud. Him and Zion make up a deadly front court. You got CJ McCollum. He's a solid third option. Jonas Val can clog the plate. Average, you know, 10 rebounds a game. And they got Trey Murphy the third, who's a solid 3 and D player. He shoots over 40% from three. So I think that the Pelicans can have a good year, but Zion owes it to all. He doesn't owe anything to anybody, but come on. When he came into the league, everybody was excited to see what he can do. We saw what he can do when he is healthy. I expect Zion to have a big year this year, and I think it's the new guard, man, that are going to be coming in the NBA in the MVP this year. Last year, it was Embiid. Before that, it was Jokic. I think that now we're going to get the new guard going for MVP. Luka, Zion, you'll be interested to see. And uh, yeah, you know, the NBA has so much turnover. You know, Phoenix now, they got their, not not only now is it a big three, they got the big four between Badley, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker. It'll be hard for the Pelicans to win the West, but hey, with Zion playing, they got a whole better chance. Now, to close it up, Jonathan Taylor, Indianapolis, has just came out and say that we are allowing him to look for a trade, and honestly, good for them. Uh, I, I think it's good for them because, you know what, you're trying to start a new identity with this team. You just drafted Anthony Richardson to be your number one quarterback. You gave him the starting gig. He's the guy. So, you know what? I don't want distractions, okay? I want to get all these distractions out of the way because I want Anthony Richardson to have the best chance possible to become the stud that we think he could be. Now, obviously, having Jonathan Taylor back there in his first season as a security blanket is nice, but you know what? How much confidence will that give Anthony Richardson if they trade Jonathan Taylor and say, you know what? We don't need him because you're the man, okay? You're the guy that we're going to get behind. You're going to take us to the promised land. Now, there's a lot of teams that are looking for JT. You got the Dolphins, the Bills. I think I saw the Bucks. He's not signed past this year. He's still on his rookie deal. So when you look at the deal that San Francisco got when they got a second, third, fourth round pick and a, a 2024 fifth round pick, 
a lot of executives are saying that you're not going to get anything more than a day two selection for Jonathan Taylor, which I think is a little low. If, if you know, obviously you're not going to get a first round pick. So I guess a day two selection is a second round pick. So yeah, if, if I'm the Colts, I'm asking for like a two and a four or a two and a five, you know, just to give you some more assets to build around Anthony Richardson. But it'll be interested to see where he goes. Obviously, the Jets just brought in Dalvin Cook. They got a lethal backfield with Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, and you also got Michael Carter, who's pretty solid. And honestly, if I'm executives in the league, instead of going for Taylor, you know, I'm the team, you know, obviously the teams that have Super Bowl aspirations, you should go for Taylor. But the teams that have aspirations are just making the playoffs and taking taking it to the next level. I'll call up the Jets because they got a stacked backfield with Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and even even Bam and Israel. So I would call them and try to get Michael Carter. But hey, man, the football season is right around the corner. We're exactly little. We're 15 days away as of today before the Lions take on the Chiefs Thursday night football to open up the season. And how about that, man? The Detroit Lions are the opening game this year. That's great. The there's big big aspirations in Detroit right now and I think the Lions especially their offense man they're going to be dynamic with the addition of Jameer Gibbs Jamison William even though now he's what suspended for another six game but Amonra St. Brown Goff Goff was a stud at the end of last year and that defense with Aiden Hutchinson I think Detroit's going to be good I, I don't think they're going to be as good as everybody thinks like they're not going to win 12 13 games but they're going to be a solid 10 11 win team and KC man it doesn't matter. I would never, ever count KC out, man. Every single year, KC just continues to win and win and win. You take away Tyreek, Patrick Mahomes, find some other guys to throw to. And you know what? They did the right move, man. They knew once once your quarterback gets into that second contract, unless you're Tom Brady, you know you're not going to be able to pay everybody. So they said, you know what? We'll let the wide receiver walk. We'll bring in some young wide receivers. We'll give Kelsey whatever he wants. We'll invest into the offensive line. What did it do? They lost Tyreek, but they went out and they won a Super Bowl. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens in KC. But we'll have a full NFL preview before the season starts. And uh, yeah, we'll be here every week, a few episodes a week. This episode has been our longest episode yet. Looks like it's going to be 28, 29 minutes. You know, we want bite-sized episodes, but sometimes something happens where we need to, you know, get a bunch of things in the one episode. So again, if you want, still nobody has called in. I got people saying like, like responding to our Instagram and Twitter posts with their points. We don't want to read your points on Instagram and Twitter. We want to hear you speak your point. Go to buzz, B-U-Z-Z dot audio backslash the sports raid. Come on the show, record a 60 second clip on your question, your point. We will have you on air. You'll be able to open up Apple Podcasts or Spotify and hear yourself on the radio. Hear yourself when you're driving in the car. If you have little kids, look, daddy's on the radio, mommy's on the radio, call in, follow us on Twitter at the Sports Raid, Instagram at the Sports Raid Podcast, TikTok at the Sports Raid, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow, subscribe, rate, review, and again, call in buzz.audio backslash the Sports Raid. Until next time, later.